up. Charles is going to be continuing on with our series, and let's welcome Charles. Thanks. Good to see you. So, we are in a sermon series called "Living with Vision and Hope" because we like vision and hope, right? Any of you want to just drift through life with no vision and no hope? That's your dream. Any of you? No, sounds good, right? You want to like move forward with purpose and vision and all that. And I think each of us all have like different goals and what our ideal future self looks like will look different for everyone. But Pastor John last Sunday told us something very important. He said, "Who we are becoming." is more important than what we do. Doesn't that sound like wisdom? And then he quoted St. Irenaeus from 2nd century, the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. Isn't that just a great statement? Don't you like that one? Now it brings glory to God when you come fully alive. Doesn't that sound good? That's good news. If God is out, To get you to go fully alive, and that brings glory to God. That's a good thing, right? Makes me happy. It should make you happy. So then, the question becomes: As we drive towards vision and hope, and we're trying to become our ideal self, how do we make sure that who we are becoming is someone who is increasingly coming alive? Isn't that a good question? Do you want? To come alive more. Any of you here just says, "Nah, I don't want to come alive. I like death. <laughs> I want to die more. You know, I want death into different parts of my life." Anybody? Or do you want like life that is getting bigger and bigger and more colorful and joyful? You know, enjoyable, more life. You're coming alive. How many of you want that? Okay, we are in the right place then for today's talk, because Jesus gives a very clear and compelling answer. And how do you get more life? How do you become someone who is increasingly coming alive? It's a famous passage from Luke chapter ten, and it gives a very clear answer there. Shall we take a look? Luke chapter 10, he says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? It's Bible law. How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told them, Do this. And you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" Jesus replied with a story: A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed. To the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along 
And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three, would you say, was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Very famous mass passage, Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard of Good Samaritan? Everybody, right? This is where it comes from. Very famous mass passage. And it begins with a question from an expert in religious law. So this guy is an expert in the Bible. He's really a theologian, right? A Bible man. And he asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And eternal life in original Greek is zoe, life that is infinite in quality and quantity. The fullest life you can imagine. And so he's asking the same question we are asking today. How do you come alive? How do you get life in all its fullness forever and ever? It's just running over everywhere. How do you get life that just runs over? Right? It's the question. How do you get full life? And the answer from Jesus is very simple and very clear. He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. How many of you have heard of this one? Again, a very, very famous statement. The Bible says that everything that God wants from us, every law, every command, everything hangs on this simple sentence. If you get this going in your life, you have fulfilled what God requires of you. Right? Big statement. Very well known. We've all heard of this. So obviously, a Bible man, a theologian, he would know of this. But the theologian, being who he is, he can't help himself. He can't leave this well enough. He pushes it. He goes, and who is my Neighbor. This is the kind of thing theologians do, right? I mean, just get really deep into the Bible and just exactly what is being said here. You know, let's, let's go deep. Let's go dig deep, right? That's what he's doing. He pushes it. And in response, Jesus tells a story. You know, that's, that's not how, I mean, this is not how theological debates are supposed to go. You know, I, I, I was at a grad school. You know, I know how this is supposed to go. When you're like at that level and you're just going, you, you, you want to debate, you want to go push it, and you want to fight with someone, you, you start telling, telling a story, you're not getting tenure that way. <laughs> You know, and you're like fighting with each other. Some of you are in grad school, any of you? Right? Your professor wants to debate and you go, oh, let me tell you a story. That's not going to go over very well, right? So Jesus is playing a different game. 
goes to a different place and he tells a story about a man who is half dead, left in the middle of the road. And by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So, this is not like, okay, here's a dead man or a dying man. But, you know, you're really busy, so you're just passing, 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 and you're just like, oh, uh, and you just keep going. Right? It's not like that. This guy and the temple assistant, they, they see the man, and they go, oh, here's a dead, dying man, and they go to the other side and get some distance as they pass him by. Do you see that? That's what's happening. Would you agree? Right? So there's this distancing going on with a dying man. Well, whatever can be said about this, this is not loving. Can we agree on that? This is not loving. You know, the priest, temple assistant, they know about God. It's their job. They must know about the greatest commandment in the head, but they cannot put it into practice when it's facing them in daily life, right? They can't do it. Well, there are two leading theories about why they would do something like this. One is that the common understanding at the time is that a dying man or dead man can contaminate you spiritually if you get too close. So being spiritual leaders, they were afraid of getting spiritually contaminated. And that's why they wanted to put some distance. There's a prescribed distance you have to have to stay clean. So they were afraid of contamination. That's one theory. That's what leads them to put some distance. Another theory is that this was a common tactic by the bandits to put like a victim in the middle of the road so that other travelers passing by would get distracted, slow down, and that will make them more vulnerable, easier to attack, as opposed to you know, travelers who are on guard. And so that's what leads them to put some distance because they were afraid of the bandits. Good theories, right? Either way, fear gets in the way of loving. Fear gets in the way of going over and connecting. Agreed? So, in light of this story, I couldn't help myself last week as this executive order from the White House to ban all refugees and immigrants from coming into the country from seven countries. I was already going to talk about connection, and I was thinking about this passage. And so, I mean, you see the connection here, right? So this idea of shutting down, cutting ourselves off, putting distance from people in need, Even as I was preparing the sermon for this passage, I could not help myself but to see the connection. Now, this order is now up in the air with a federal judge declaring it illegal. And the appeals court 
uh, upheld that for now. So the executive branch and the judiciary branch of our government is now duking it out. And on one side of the argument is we need to keep our country safe. You know, we need to enforce our borders. But this executive order has serious impact on who we are as a country. You know, who America is and what America is. You know, Statue of Liberty is just right out there. And that statue stands for the statement, give me your huddled masses. That's the image of America around the world. It's the one shining beacon of hope around the world that that is a place where people in trouble can go and start a new life and work hard, get the American dream. That's how we think of ourselves. That's how I thought of America when I immigrated. How many of you are immigrants or children of immigrants? Whoa! <laughs> most of us, right? Absolutely most of us. I mean, that's America. It's the country of immigrants. And so this order to just shut the door doesn't matter. There is, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. We're just shutting the door. <laughs> We're not going to even ask you. Or, you know, make sure you are a safe person. We're just going to shut down and put distance. That's, that's causing a, a serious rethink around the world about who America is and what America stands for. It's diminishing America's standing and image around the world. And that's just a fact. I mean, it has a cost. Another cost is that even Republican senators are saying that this is serving as a great tool to recruit terrorists. As you can see, yeah, America hates us. Let's go kill them. You know, this is like, this is like just playing right into their hands, they are saying. Yeah. And of course, the other side of the argument is, hey, we need to control our borders. You know, we need, you know, as a country, we need to keep ourselves safe from the terrorists who can you know, come into the country disguised as refugees, disguised as immigrants. And so... Terrorism, you know, that can strike fear into our hearts. It is dangerous. But the fact is, there have been zero terrorists that have been sent over here by those seven countries on the list. There are countries who have sent us terrorists, and they are not on the list, curiously enough. And, and more than that, more importantly than that, let me show you a list of different things that are dangerous, that have killed Americans. You know, uh, this is the list of annual deaths caused by different factors. Islamic jihadist immigrants, two per year. Far right-wing terrorists, five per year. All Islamic jihadist terrorists, including U.S. citizens, nine. Armed toddlers, 21. Lightning, 31. Lawnmowers, 69, wow. Being hit by a bus, 264. Falling out of bed, 737. And Americans with guns, you know, they're off the charts. But who knew that beds can be so lethal? 
I will never be able to like go to my bedroom and look at the bed in the same way again. Can you? I mean, they're lethal. We need to ban beds. <laughs> right? I'm sorry for putting that thought in your head. (laughs) But the point I wanted to make is that life is inherently dangerous. When beds can kill you, we're not really in control, are we? And there's no way to get control. I mean, we can live in fear of beds and lawnmowers and buses and try to eliminate these, these dangerous things from our lives. But where does that leave us? That's not going to leave us going towards life in all its fullness. That will shrink us, diminish us, make us small. You will never be able to get full life that way. So Jesus cannot be clearer in this passage. Yes, that man dying on the road presents a challenge, presents a danger, both spiritually and physically. You linger around a man like that, you could get attacked by the bandits that got him. They could be around trying to get you. You could get contaminated. Yes, it's dangerous, but he makes it so crystal clear if you want eternal life, if you want life in all its fullness, you want to be saved. And you cannot let fear drive your decision. You have to overcome that, overcome those fears, go over to him and connect. You cannot cross to the other side and put the distance and shut yourself off. If you do that, you will never get, you will never become someone who is fully alive. Doesn't that make sense? It makes sense. And so my first practical suggestion today is don't let fear get in the way of connecting. That good Samaritan, he doesn't let fear drive his decision. And he had more reason to just pass by. Because this was a Jew and he was a Samaritan. There was an enormous enmity and divide and gap between those two groups. But he goes over to him and connects with him in finding the common humanity rather than the differences. Do you see that? And Jesus lifts him up as the example of what you want to look like if you want life. Amen? So, yeah, fear is all around us. But ask God. Ask God for more faith, more confidence, more strength in your heart to overcome those fears in your lives that prevent you from connecting. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Ask God for a taste of that perfect love so that you don't, Let fear drive your vision. Amen. May that be true of all of us. Another thing that gets in the way of connecting full life is self-justifying. The habit of self-justifying. The theologian in the story, he wanted to justify his actions 
he says, who is my neighbor? This really shows who he is and the vision of who he sees himself. He's a theologian. He can't help himself. He has to have the last word. He has to be right. <laughs> Do you see that? Do you know anyone like this? Anyone who, is, who has to have the last word? Yeah? Yeah. I, I, wish you, I wish you could see the faces of the people as they are. Do you know anyone who just has to be right? Mm-hmm. Just has to be right. Doesn't matter. Do you like them? Mm. <laughs> well, you know, maybe they have other redeeming features, but that part <laughs> is not very likable <laughs> because it's very hard to connect with a person like that because they are not connecting with you. They are isolated because they are always like, they're self-observed. There's no connecting ability. They have to be right. So my second suggestion is don't get in the habit of justifying yourself. I mean, it's so easy to do, self-justifying, being defensive. You know, whenever I get into an argument or even in my own head, all the time, Something pricks. Oh, should I have done that? And then like all these voices in my head, justifying. Oh, you know, I had to do that. I had to do that. I had to do that. Yeah, I had. Anybody else like that? Come on, fess up. Let's be brutally honest. How many of you are in the habit of self-justifying? All right. At least you're honest. Folks, if you are Christian... You are cross-justified, never self-justified. Let me repeat that. We are cross-justified, never self-justified. Amen? If you get one thing out of this sermon, remember this phrase. Cross-justified, never self-justified. That's, that's Christianity. The, the first step... you. When you become a Christian, you are saying, I'm going to let the cross justify who I am. That's the most basic decision you make. And so whenever you find yourself self-justifying, you are turning away from that decision. You're turning away from the cross. You're walking away from the cross and living by your own righteousness. You are, you are far away from God anytime you find yourself being defensive and self-justifying. That is not a cross-based faith. That is righteousness-based faith that Jesus came to destroy. You've got to turn and repent from that. You have to let your mind be transformed by the, by the grace of God and no longer think like the world does and justify yourself. But the whole, the whole world does that. You've got to be different from that. Amen? So whenever you find yourself justifying, understand, I am not connecting. I am actually being cut off right now. I am moving away from life and knowledgefulness. I am moving away from the cross. It's not what God wants. I must turn. I must repent. So just stop it. Stop it cold whenever you, it just comes on your head 
just go, ah, cutting it off. It's what it means to die to yourself and take on the cross. Just don't do it. Move away. Move away. It's toxic. It's nuclear, radio, radioactive. Because it's, it's no longer about who's right, who's wrong. It's no longer about asking questions like, and who is my neighbor? That's just, it's just like figuring out what can I come up with. Justify, it's, you know, when you become a Christian, it's so tempting to say, okay, Jesus saved me. Now I have to live a godly life. And so, you know, I'm just going to find out exactly what God wants. And I'm going to be the best person at finding out what is the right thing to believe and right thing to do. That is going back to the old covenant. The vomit, the Bible says. As a dog returns to vomit, the Bible tells it. That's nasty stuff. You got to stop that. Don't be like this theologian. Who is, it's no longer about being right and how right you are. It's, it's now all about are you connecting or distancing. That's the, that's the message of this passage, isn't it? not about who is my neighbor. It's about are you connecting or distancing. It's very simple. Even a Samaritan can do this. The Samaritan, despise Samaritan, Jesus says, who, who, who doesn't know anything about God, is in the heart of God's will in this story. Yes? So, I don't know how many times I can repeat. The same point, and so let me just go to the suggestion. <laughs> so make connection central to, vi- to the vision of who you are. Make connection central to the vision of who you are. Not how much you know, not how successful you are. Let this Samaritan be the vision of who you are. Someone who is willing to connect. And growing in that. I mean, we all have different visions of our ideal self. Maybe some of us want to be super successful. Some of us want to be a CEO, you know, successful business person. Others of us may want to be an authentic, creative artist. And others of us just want to be a good parent. And we all have different visions of who we want to be. I'm going to propose to you, if you want to come fully alive, you want that... You want to be saved, then make the vision of who you are simply a person who is growing in connection to God, to yourself, and to people around you, to the world. Just whatever it costs, whatever it is, just just make that the central thing that you are willing to do at any cost. Moving forward. This Samaritan going over to him, soothed his wounds with olive oil, wine, bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. My God, that's a lot of work, don't you think? I think there is a point to that. There is a lot of effort, time, and money. It's worth the cost because it will bring life and all its fullness to you. And we need to put, make a conscious effort to this because it's so much easier to isolate. It's so much easier to stay home and watch TV show Friends than make friends. 
Making friends is, is work. You know? Especially people who are different from you. Who don't think the same way as you. That's a pain in the butt. People can be very difficult, folks. They are not, they are not easy to deal with. You know? And so that takes effort. But it's worth the effort. Every effort. You know, there was a time when I felt lost. You know, I, me and my wife, we came down to New York with this shining dream and a hope and a vision to plant a, a great thriving church built on the living God. Because, you know, I, I saw a lot of success in Cambridge. We built a church there that just grew like 1,000% every year. It was just awesome. So easy and so glorious and wonderful. And so we thought, oh, yeah, we'll do this again in New York. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's New York. <laughs> More likely, no, what I think it was, it was me. You know, I had my limitations. I made a lot of mistakes. It was so stinking hard to get a church going. You know, I mean, getting a church going is not easy, folks. Right? No matter what, how much have we tried, it was so hard to get it above 20 people. And, and, and then there was a time it was like, Well, we're just falling flat. We don't know how to pay rent. We're just, I'm just a total failure. And I got really pissed at God. I was like, God, I was doing so well, such a success back in Cambridge. Why in the world would you tell me to come to New York and experience this pain and failure? It's all your fault. You know, God, you suck. You know? <laughs> right? And then God spoke to me. And when I say God spoke to me, it's not like this thunderous voice from some, you know, sky going, Josh. No, it's not like that at all. It's a voice in my head. And you can even argue, maybe you're just talking to yourself. It's just voice in your head. But I say, and I believe God spoke to me, because when God speaks, it doesn't sound like me. I mean, I know my own voice in my head. It's there all the time. Right? It's it's speaking to me all the time. I know exactly how it sounds. But when God speaks, it's completely alien. It's the other in a very categorical sense. And it doesn't sound anything like me. Neither in content nor in tone. And and that time what God said was, Charles, you are right. You are a total failure. You're failing. Your story is not going well. But Charles, my story in you is going great. Because you are failing, people find you more relatable. Because you're failing, you have become <laughs> humble. Can you rejoice in that? And that was so very challenging for me. Because what God was saying then was that, well, according to my vision of who I want to be, I want to lead a 10,000 people church with everybody cheering me. And I'm this glorious success. And according to that vision, I'm just totally failing. But God has a different vision for me. 
God's vision for me is someone who is growing in connection, in love of God and this world and myself. And according to that vision, God was so happy because all this pain and failure was making me truly humble. I mean, I tried to be humble before. But when you're like successful all the time, you can try to be humble. But you can, you can be stuck up about even being humble. You know what I'm saying? The, those people who are humble can be just some of the most annoying people. Right? And when you're that successful, you just can't relate to people. So God was saying, it's worth pain and failure if it makes you even a tad bit more connectable. That's a completely different way of living life, don't you think? So make connection central to your vision and do whatever it takes. One thing you can do in the next two weeks that's practical, every day ask yourself, when did I move towards connection? When did I put some distance and isolate myself? Every day, ask that question. It'll help you understand yourself better. What helps me move towards connection? And what moves me away from connection? Ask this question all the time. Interact with God about it. God will really help you in this. Because He really wants this to happen to you. So He will answer this prayer. He will give you insights and you will grow. You know, this is why I love this church. Because this church is all about connection. Look around you. Look at how diverse this church is. All these different looking people coming together voluntarily. Nobody's paying you. For God. Wow, that's miraculous. And I believe it's because God has put a a spiritual gift on this church. This church is really good at bringing different people together and making them connect with each other. That's why I love this church. This church helps me connect. You see, if Christian faith was all about being right and doing right and being holy, you can do it on your own. Just go somewhere and read the Bible and just do the right things. But that's not what Christian faith is about. Christian faith is about connecting and loving. And that's why we need church, folks. Because you can, like, shut up in your own room. You can be the most loving person in your own head. (laughs) In the abstract. Oh, I love people. You can do, you can be heroic in your loving, in your own room. But when you're actually dealing with actual people, now that's when the challenge comes, right? A lot of you are laughing really hard because you know what I mean. That's why we need each other. We need, we absolutely need church. Church is central to Christian faith because this is where it gets worked out, right? So get involved, cross the bridge, connect. It takes, you know, effort to go to life group or get to know someone or to tell people about church. You know, this church is really good at bringing different people together. One of the most powerful things is we are really good at bringing couples who, are different, who have different faith backgrounds 
have some peace in their life. Let me tell you a story of humans of the river. We've been interviewing people in the church and getting their stories about how the church has impacted them. And let me just tell you one story, Dennis and Katerina. It's a great story. Dennis says, we are very different. I come from a conservative Korean Methodist church background, and Katerina is from Macedonia, where she grew up going to church one to two times a year. It was important for me that we find a church that we both like, which was not easy as I understand it. One thing that captivated me at the river was the center set principle, which puts vibrant relationship with God above rule keeping, which was different than any message that I've ever heard anywhere else. That made it possible for both of us to understand and grow in faith in dynamic ways. And they're both very happy. They're both very dynamic in their faith now. And they're doing very well. And I can think of dozens and dozens and dozens of couples in this church who are in the same situation or similar situation. And I just think that's just fantastic. I feel like we're providing community service. (laughs) Right? Because different faith background is one of the top five causes of divorce. And so if we can do that, that tells you something. That tells you that this is a church where different people who think differently can come together and find a common ground in God. That's powerful. These stories are great, aren't they? We're putting out these stories once every two weeks. And I'm very excited about that because it encourages you. There's four up now in the website. And we're putting out one every two weeks in the Facebook and there's all these different places. So, Are you guys like hooked into social media? You guys do any of that stuff? Facebook, Twitter, any social media, right? I mean, that's kind of the, I'm I'm too old for it, I think, but, you know, this is, that's how you like stay current and cool nowadays, right? So I'd like to ask you a favor. I mean, I give you a pretty good sermon every time, right? So as a favor to me, can you do something for me? Would you be willing? Can you go to your Facebook page and look up River NYC and uh, like it? (laughs) Can you do that? Because you come to church, you like it, right? And would you be able to like turn on notifications so that when we put out like Humans of the River story, it goes to you. I mean, we do all, we put all this work to it. I mean, we want you to read it. Okay, can you do that? And then when you read it and you like it, and I'm sure you will like it. Like it and share it. Could you? Let, let, let your friends know. Because maybe some of your friends are in the same situation. Maybe they're like, oh, we're having fights all the time because we have different faith backgrounds. Maybe it'll help them, right? That's a good service. Maybe some story will hit. You know, someone of your, some of your friends, when they're down and depressed, maybe it'll be inspiring, encouraging. Who knows? You know, these are good stories, just human stories. It's not... It's nice, okay? I don't do at least that much. Be agents of connection. That's your mission as Christian. Spread connection. Be connector. Spread it everywhere you go. And that's how you spread the kingdom. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are at war connecting us to you, to ourselves, and to our neighbors. That we come alive when we are connected. 
That is just true. We need help with that. And I thank you that you provide help. Oh God, help us to live by the cross that we may never be self-justifying people. Put our eyes on the prize that we become loving and connecting people living by the greatest commandment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.